First, I'd really like to thank Benel and its incredible staff and board. Benel's leadership in presenting and supporting dynamic contemporary art in all forms and supporting artists and building community and inclusivity is a cornerstone in my life. And it's truly an honor to be associated with Benel and to have a show here. And I'm also really honored to show with Hal Gage. Um, Hal's work in capturing the intricate beauty of the, the beauty of Alaskan landscape in ways that are unexpected. Um, it resonates with me so deeply because his images remind me that we're witnessing an incredibly rapid environmental change. And with that, I see that nature only responds in beauty, which is amazing. Um, and I think I'll start my screen share to start the talk. So let's see if I do this right. I might be doing this right. I'd like to begin by expressing how utterly grateful I am to be in this enchanting land that has been lived on and stewarded by indigenous people for thousands and thousands of years. The land on which I sit is the borderland of the Dena'ina and Supiak people. Tuget, referred to by the Dena'ina and Kajipmak by the Supiak, I stand with them, humbled and in awe by the beauty, abundance, and generosity of these rich waters and land. I was not born here, and I'm aware that I came to this place uninvited. I acknowledge and thank both those in the present and from the past who are of this land, human and non-human alike. I honor, listen to, and respect you. I thank you for allowing me to be a longtime visitor here, and I seriously take my role in continued awareness, appreciation, and stewardship of it for as long as I live. For the past 20 years, I've been explored the use of the repeated form. I love what happens when a form is repeated over and over again. It becomes its own thing. I generally work with gathered natural materials from my immediate surroundings. And in the past 10 years, I've been making assemblages and have come to see that perhaps what I'm doing is giving voice to the particular material I'm working with, giving it a voice outside of words that goes straight to the human gut. These pieces in this show are assemblages using long buried mussel shells gathered from the beach below our house on Mud Bay. These are two shots, one from the summer and one in the winter. Um, that show you directly below our house and how that power of water um, rides up and down the beach. Um, as the power of the water has slowly eroded and old storm berms um, shape new ones, these once buried mussel shells become exposed like pearls on a beach. Each individual, each is an individual in color, size, shape, and fragility. 
These muscle shells represent years of gathering, and I'm drawn by their luster and the fact that they are fairly uncommon finds on the beach. Each is a treasure to me. I originally was intending to address ocean acidification and climate change in general. Mussels are such a vital part of the intertidal food chain and being animals that depend on calcium carbonate to build their shells and acidification affecting that availability. I felt this material would speak to this message. As the COVID pandemic raced through the world, changing people's behaviors and keeping them distant from each other, hunkered down at home, everything felt disrupted. Angst set in me and questions around priorities and what matters became my inner discussion. All spring and summer, I was wondering what the heck I was doing by working on such a labor intensive project and for what? Who am I to preach to? Who am I preaching to? And what she did? No, I went um, over there today. And what purpose my work, and what does my purpose have any, what does the, what does my work have, what purpose does my work have anyway? Climate change is here, there's no turning back, and I am part of the problem. People are dying, crying, lying, de denying, and killing each other, grappling with issues of gross inequities, injustice, and violence. And what was I doing inside my studio during the beautiful, sunny, warm summer days when I was aching to be outside? What were my priorities and what matters anyway? Um, in late February, my friend Melise began to help me glue muscle shells to the first panel. And then just a few weeks later, the spread virus, the virus spread, making it unsafe to continue to work jointly in an enclosed space. Weeks later, she sent me a Wendell Berry poem that reminded her of me. That gesture was fortuitous. The poem, being watchful, made it clear to me what the heck I was doing, and it changed my entire perspective. Being watchful. As soon as I felt a necessity to learn about the non-human world, I wished to learn about it in a hurry. And then I began to learn, perhaps the most important lesson that nature had to reach me, that I could not learn about her in a hurry. The most important learning, that of experience, can neither be summoned nor sought out. The most worthy knowledge cannot be acquired by what is known as study. Though it is necessary and it has its use, it comes in its own time and in its own way to the human who will go where it lives and wait and be ready and watch. Hurry is beside the point, useless and obstruction. The thing is to be attentively present. To sit and wait is as important as to move. Patience is as valuable as industry. What is known is always there. When it reveals itself to you, or when you come to it, it is by chance. The only condition is your being there and being watchful. It was then that I realized my work is not about messaging issues or preaching. 
it's about time, my time, my own time, observation and discovery. It's about beauty and change. It's about being present, about meditation, and even a time of prayer. So I've attempted to give these precious shells a sense of life, to translate the wonder of the water, the life in it, and the lives dependent on it. The fish, the birds, seals, and otters, the wonder of the wind, the clouds, ice, snow, and rain, the textures of the water, the light, the colors, the ever-changing line of water touching the land through the constant ebb and flow of the tide, and the lines in the water formed by different water temperatures and salinity content. There is so much life to witness and so much death. There is so much beauty and so much movement. I celebrate and embrace all that comes through being here and being watchful. I celebrate having a voice in which to honor and express my love of this place. Being watchful is even more of an importance in my life. Life and art making have become more and more entwined. Thank you so much. And for those who are able to come see the exhibit, um, I invite you to walk around each piece because the light hits the different facets of the shells and highlight different things and adds to the dimension of movement. So thank you. Thanks so much. Oh. I have a couple more shots to show you. Uh, this is the installation, a couple of oh my gosh. Um, images of the installation. Well, they're all the same shells, just in different shapes. And then, so thank you. Thank you, Rika. I'm just going to briefly ask everybody to make sure and please mute your microphone if you're not presenting so that we can have a nice clean audio. That was absolutely beautiful, dear. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's nice to see a few shots of the room too. And that's a wonderful segue into the work on the walls. Hal, we look forward to your presentation. Well, uh, can you hear me all right? I can never figure out these microphone things. Yeah, you sound good. Okay, sound good. okay very good. Uh, so for those who, who don't know me, that may be most of you, I don't know. Um, I am a photographer, I'm a fine artist. I've been working in Alaska as an artist uh, for probably close to 40 years. Uh, I was born and raised here. Um, and I too would like to thank, thank the land, thank the people that tended this land uh, long before my ancestors came here. And they only got here in 53, so. That makes uh, you know me part of the newcomers as well, even though I was born here. <clears throat> I'd also like to thank the Benel Gallery. You've always been generous to me and to my work and supportive, and uh, it's always been appreciated. Um, I think since my first exhibition, which I'm reaching back, it was, I think, in 86, so that was some time ago. Uh, and 
over those years, my work, of course, has evolved and changed, and the subject matter has changed, and my directions have changed. <clears throat> but I think I've always kept pretty much the same kind of aesthetic going, uh, generally working in the landscape and with nature. Um, and this show is definitely that, uh, that same thing. So um, rather than uh, talk about the, the show specifically, I'm going to give you kind of an overview of what got me here. Uh, ice and the, by extension, the show that's up right now, The Silt, uh, has been kind of an obsession with me for, well, um, certainly near that same length of time since my first show at the Benel back in 87. <clears throat> uh, so I, uh, I've been working with this subject for a very long time. Um, <clears throat> I'm gonna go ahead and just start the shows. So the slides will just be rolling along. If anybody wants to ask a question, certainly you can turn off your mute button and ask it, interrupt me, perfectly fine. I work much better with questions than I do with just pandering on and on about, uh, about myself, which is really the only subject I know really well anyway. <clears throat> so we'll go over here and let's see, bring this back up to the beginning. Okay, and turn it on, play. Get your screen share going. Yeah, just a minute. <clears throat> it's tricky here to get them both going at the same time. I'm back over here and screen share. And I guess it's that way. Share. There you go. And then play, so it's full screen. There, how's that? Okay, well, the, uh, the beginning uh, of this uh, body work was simply just called the ice series but over the years it's uh, accumulated into about five bodies of work and since that time I've decided to uh, just not mince words I really do believe that uh, when I started this this series back in the 80s there was a lot of speculation about uh, global warming about climate change is it true is it not true blah 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 and of course that led into the deniers right on through the 90s and into the aughts but uh i think at this time i finally have decided that uh, i'm just not going to mince words any longer this really is a documentary of the death of ice as we move further along in this climate change we are losing something that has been a intimate part of at least my life and I think most Alaskans lives. <clears throat> so the first series starts out from the beginning back in those early days. Ice, and it's a survey show basically. So it's of the ice that I find around my home. Um, it's not necessarily a, a survey of every type of ice that's out there, but it is the types of ice that I've run into and I found beautiful and evocative and um, uh, drove me to make these images. So I think people ask me a lot now is, uh, is my work about climate change? And I have to say that the subtext is there for sure. Um, my first desire is to make art. So these works are uh, first and foremost my, uh, my epiphany um, when I'm out in the field, when I'm working with this subject. As I move on to create the, the work in print and then display them and 
uh, travel the show or shows, uh, the message is about climate change. And it's about not so much what we are doing to the climate. I think that's kind of obvious. It's more about what we have uh, the possibility of losing if we continue on this same journey. So the work is certainly photographs of beautiful landscapes, <clears throat> um, but they also have the subtext of uh, what might be lost. So what started this obsession with ice? Well, uh, kind of out of uh, self-defense. You know, I've lived up here all my life and, you know, up until I started this series, I've always kind of avoided the winter and tried and just kind of forbeared through it. So <clears throat> I finally embraced ice and the winter and that's how this series began. So from that survey work, I went into um, what I call perennial ice, that is ice that you can find year-round. You know, people ask me, what do I do in the summertime? Well, this is what I do now in the summertime is I search out ice in the summertime. <clears throat> so all this work of glaciers is done at the Matanuska Glacier. There are plenty of other glaciers around the state, certainly could have gone to, and, uh, but the Matanuska is, is the easiest to access, uh, and it afforded me the ability to come back time after time after time in order to explore the subject, explore what it is that subject has to say to me. So <clears throat> working for, well, since 2000 on this, uh, at this glacier, I've managed to, um, I think, put my finger on its pulse and find out what it has to say to me anyway. Again, the works are, you know, uh, beautiful settings. I really like what uh, Rika had to say about uh, uh, our impact on the on climate and the, the planet itself and that nature responds only in beauty. Well, that's that's an amazing thing to say. Thank you, Rika. That was very, very poignant. <clears throat> I believe that. I truly believe that. And in fact, I've written that down. I'm going to probably use that in a few things. Thank you. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'm just looking at my notes to see if there's anything I need to say else I say it. Not really. Uh, the glacier stuff um, is, you know, on the surface in caverns and in, uh, in the uh, uh, streams that cut through the ice, um, the dirt cones. I've learned so many different amazing uh, technical terms. It's really through this process. It's pretty amazing. So then that led me to um, what I call ephemeral ice. This is my abstract work. <clears throat> the work is uh, uh, not, to be, not meant to be representational uh, of ice per se or anything per se. It's meant to be a study on line, design, volume, and structure. Uh, lights and darks and, and their relationships and how they can evoke emotions. So this is what I found in ice without uh, showing its, the rest of its environment. So um, very abstract. This is where people chime in with questions because there's going to be some dead air if they don't. I'm looking to my partner over here to see if she has any questions for me. <laughs> Where do you find these abstracts? Oh, well, that's a good question. Thank you. Um, 
where do I find these abstracts? I find them, uh, first I found them in puddles in my back alley. Uh, in a little window of time in, in April, every year there's a bit of ice skim and it, uh, uh, it's there without any snow on top of it and it allows me to, to make these abstract pictures. So from the humble mud puddle in the, in the back alley to, uh, to these pictures is how, I, uh, um, how I've looked at ice and looked at um, how this abstract series. Are they magnified? The scale is, uh, yeah, usually they're, most of these things are between four inches square and 10 inches square. So when printed and on the wall, they're, they're definitely magnifications of the, of the scene. They're not micrographs, they're not teeny tiny things, but they are, you know, about the size of your hand, things you could hold in your hand. Hal, can I ask a question about who some of your earlier influences were in uh, your illustrious career? Sure. Uh, thank you, Michael. Um, my, I'll just make that quick. My, I started as a painter, a drawer and a painter um, on through college. It was late in college that I discovered photography and, and uh, kind of left everything else behind from there. But my influences were definitely the uh, the early surrealists and, and the um, um, abstract expressionists of the uh, of the fifties and sixties, and the um, um, Jasper Johns and and um, Rauschenberg later in the sixties uh, and in, into the seventies, which is strange, I guess, because it doesn't really reflect in my work at all. But it. Uh, it gave me a, an appreciation for 2D design and working in, in, um, in a strict format, in a size, or rather in a shape and, and uh, in two dimensions. So I think that uh, um, helped me to, to understand photography maybe in a little bit different way than, than how most people come to it. So I'll go into the Strangers series. And this is probably the strangest of the ice series. So for um, about a, about a three-week to one-month period every winter, uh, the ice from the Gulf of Alaska comes up the Cook Inlet and into turning an arm, bringing with it these, these ice flows. They're not icebergs per se, but they are ice flows and, and mostly made of uh, ice and mud. And they uh, get stranded at low tide. And for me, I've seen these things out there on the uh, inlet for my entire life. And I always kind of was fascinated with them. I always wanted to go out to, to see them, but that was just either never allowed when I was young or just impractical or so I felt when I got older. So a few years back, I decided I was going to go make a portrait series of these flows. And I call them the strangers because they come in, they live here for, among us for the turn of one tide and then get picked up by the water and carried back out only to be re, uh, uh, replenished by another batch the next tide. <clears throat> so 
these guys will, will never be back again and this is the each one is unique and so I started to go out and just photograph them and kind of as a do portrait documentary type project uh, it said that within the next 50 maybe less years there may be no ice that actually touches the coast of Alaska uh, any longer there will still be ice out in the water but not necessarily uh, at the coast and I've noticed these strangers becoming less and less frequent over the years. Um, and, and if they do come in, they come in in a much narrower window, you know, maybe a week or two. Uh, it's sometimes very difficult to catch them. So then that led me to my final bit of work, and that's the work that's showing at the gallery here. And that is what happens after the ice disappears, at least with glaciers, as glaciers recede. And that is the silt that's brought down by the glaciers, or rather the, the debris that's brought down by the glaciers and the rocks that are ground to powder, which they call glacial flour. And as it mixes in with the melting waters, these flow patterns are created <clears throat> and they mix in with the small rocks and, and granulars and, uh, of sand and um, the silt and mud, and they create these amazing shapes and uh, patterns. It's very, very subtle when you're out there. It's just gray on gray. Uh, there isn't much definition in them. But if you look closely, you can tell that there is this amazing amount of uh, patterns and textures in there. So with a little bit of processing of the, of the uh, digital files, I can bring all those things out that are a little difficult to see in real life. So these all represent to me um, kind of the fingerprint or somebody said once uh, the grain, the, sorry, the uh, veins and arteries of the glacier. And it's what's left of the glacier once it starts to melt back. Questions? What is the scale of these? Is this also fairly small? Fairly small. That's um, <clears throat> true. They're, they're anywhere from about a foot square to down to about three or four inches square. So some are, are quite magnifications and some are kind of one-to-one -one when they're in the print form in the gallery. Like what's the scale of this one? That one's probably about three or four feet square. And that's probably oh, about yeah. five or six inches square. Oh, okay. Wow, cool. Yeah, it's just a matter of finding the chaos and then trying to make uh, some kind of order out of that chaos. Just Hi, Hal. It's the... Kim Turpening. Hi, Kim. Hi. Thank you. Um, Question? Are, the, are these... Um, is this the actual coloration of these patterns? In black and white, is it? Yeah, right, exactly. But I mean, when you see them in real life, are, they, are there subtle other colors involved? Uh, yeah, but a very subtle kind of uh, <clears throat> reflection of the blue sky, kind of a brownish tint of the, of the mud. But once these things are um, processed and, and the contrast is brought up in color, they look awful. They just are disgusting. They're beautiful in black and white. Beautiful. Absolutely stunning. Yep. 
go. So the, the color is just a distraction, and so to remove the color helps to focus in on, on, the, uh, on the design and on the, the pattern and structure of it. So there you go. That's kind of the story of how I got here and why these are on the wall at the Benell Gallery. And I hope that you have an opportunity to go see the actual things and uh, see Rika's work, which is just uh, absolutely stunning. And actually, uh, I want to say one thing about the, the uh, coordination between our two shows, which is completely uncoordinated. Uh, is that uh, the way that she's displayed her work, they have a feeling of kind of... Uh, well, you have to look down on them, look from, from over above them, and it's kind of like an aerial or a satellite imagery. And that's a lot what these images look like. And that's kind of the uh, play that I was trying to make was uh, the idea of uh, the microcosm and the fractal quality of nature, which you see down really small, repeats itself on a much larger scale as well. <clears throat> so there could be satellite images as well. And so I like that... Uh, connection between Rika's show and mine. Now I have a question. Yes. Um, you've said that this is the final installment in, in this collection. And I wondered, is that because you see it as part of the natural, you know, destruction of the ice? Or is it because you have feel you've said what you have to say? Uh, and will you continue to shoot ice or do you have other projects in mind? Can you kind of put that in perspective a little bit? Uh, well, you've, you've got one other option and that, that is I'm getting old and I'm sick and tired of the project. That's not true, of course. Uh, the reason, you know, never say never. I have no idea if this is the end of the project or not. It is at this moment in time. Um, and it seems a, a, a logical end. Um, as I've shown ice in all sorts of different ways, uh, now I'm showing what's showing ice that's not there any longer. What is it that's left when ice is gone? And so that seemed like a, a logical end to this show, um, as far as the series goes, all the different series go. Whether I'll continue, I don't know. One thing I've found about my work is that uh, as soon as I finish a body of work, I continue doing it. I can't ever stop. Um, the survey grouping that I did when I first started ICE, I'm still adding to that today. So it's, it's kind of a never end. Once you find something that you're, that you like and that you have an affinity for working with, it's hard to give it up. So you continue, I just continue by default adding to the series and I probably will continue adding it. Whether there'll be another part of the series, uh, that I can't say, you know, if I run across something that makes sense and uh, has some something else to say, uh, I'll definitely add that to the series. And I know galleries hate that. They say, well, you know, you got a finished body of work, show you a finished body of work, and you are no longer allowed to work on that work any longer. And uh, that just doesn't happen in my life. I, I just continue working with the same things over and over again. And you know, if I had to do my first ice show over again today, it would be many of the same images and a lot of new images as well. So I just keep adding to it. Did that answer your question now? Yes, you're an addict like I am. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hal, this is Asia. I'd love to um, invite you to 
close the screen share and I can, with my um, computer, just give a little room scan for people who aren't able to join us so they can see this beautiful, um, these two beautiful collections together. Right. Okay. Yeah. Bring up this. See, how do you stop screen share? Yeah, just down at the bottom of your screen, you'll see a little button that says screen share. It might be green and you can double click on it. It's kind of in the menu next to security participants, chat reactions down at the very bottom of your screen. Oh dear. Um, I can't seem to find that. Let me see if I can get rid of that. It's at the bottom of your menu. Yeah, that doesn't come up any longer. Sorry. I'm going to go ahead and um, see if I can find it here. Here. I'm going to try something. Override yeah, yeah. there. I just, I just over, overrode you. So I, I'm going to turn my computer around and I know it's not a great camera, but you can see um, kind of how it works to have these two bodies of work together. The scale of, of Rika's horizontal installations is almost the same size as Hal's individual larger prints. I see that all right? Yeah. Anyway, nothing like the real thing, so I do hope you all will stop by. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. There's a lot of thought into, um, like even the, the sort of warm gray of um, Hal's frames is sort of mirrored in the horizontal um, substrates below Rika's. So it's, it's really, it's really beautiful together. It looks really uptown. Thank you both so much. Click back into the full room view to see this lovely community near and far. Guys, have any other questions or comments for the artists? Feel free. Asia Argent has a comment in uh, the chat. Oh goodness! Or has a question. Sorry. Okay. There's a lot of comments, but Argent has a question. Yes, Argent asks if um, Rika, if your mounting material is part of the piece. You're on mute, dear. Um, the whole thing is part of the piece. So you mean the pedestal, Argent? Or, or the panels? I, I don't mean the pedestal. I mean the very dark gray. It's yeah, kind of that's part like of the piece. Work. Definitely part of the piece. I really like the depth of that. It makes them seem like jewels or pearls or something like that in a, in a case. Um, well, I really thanks. like that. <laughs> Thank you. The way you see things, Argent, just constantly opens up a whole new way of looking at things. So thanks. I appreciate that. 
And thank you both for sharing your work. It's, it's really, really magnificent. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Isn't this technology amazing? I mean, people from Florida to Alaska can be watching something live. It just blows me away. Just to Arizona. Me. To Arizona. Oh, my God. <laughs> Stuck oh, in Arizona. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. This couldn't happen without this amazing technology. Rika, your, your comments were straight from your heart, as usual. Yeah, Thank you cool. so much. The for show looks you. terrific. And Hal, you too. It was an amazing, stunning show. I, I wish I could see it in person, but. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Wow. We miss all you guys. I can know almost every single person on this screen, and we miss you <laughs> terribly. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Kimmy. <laughs> Love you, Rika, Asia. We miss you too. <laughs> thank you, everybody. Evo. Wait, what, if I can ask Rika, if I can ask Rika one last question around it's so it's so great to have you back um, showing art it's been some time though you've been ever present as always on many levels um, and I know it's it, it's a, a evolution of you to even get to this point and I'd hate to even ask the question of like is there now since you're done is there any thought of will you present more or is there a thought of uh, what's next? for you in, in, in regards to exhibitions or showing or making? Well, honestly, uh, my original intention for this show was much larger. <laughs> so yes, um, this, the work for this show will continue because there are some major pieces um, that I intended for this show and it just, I just ran out of time. Um, um, but I do consider my wetland work um, part of my land sculpture. It's a different dimension. So, but yeah, the studio work will continue. I, I thought I would move past it, but I can't. Um, so thanks for the question, Michael. <laughs> Thank you. Rika, you ran out of time because you're such a slacker. Such a slacker. Well, I have to say that all last summer of 2019, I was working on salmon vertebrae. I mean, just like that. And when when this whole thing, so that's a whole nother thing that I was already working on for this show. So there'll just have to be another show. Um, it just takes a whole lot longer than I ever imagined. Recently. It has a long-term effect. I can't walk through fireweed and watch it change colors without thinking of your fireweed. <laughs> right, right. Oh, Devaney, thanks. Yeah, it won't stop. It can't. Yeah. I love all of you so much. Yay, my Rika! Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. What an honor. I'm blown away. I can't wait to see the exhibit. It's such a wonderful pairing and the talks, you, both of your talks were fabulous. And thank you. Beautiful work. Powerful. Thank you. Thank you. The interesting thing is both Hal and I are talking about lives past or a changing environment. And I am still 
I am blown away that nature always responds in beauty. It's just amazing. No matter what you do, even erosion lines, you know, it just always, I want to be like that when I mature. I want to always respond in beauty, no matter what happens. Yeah. Hal, your work just blows me away. Just, I love the series of it too, of ice and then finally the silt. That really brought it full circle for me. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you. <laughs> Let's see who else is here. It's very yeah, hard. It's hard. For Hal. it's hard to, oh, question for Hal, go ahead. Yeah, hi, this is Mary Beth. Um, Hal, um, 20 years of, of photographing the Matanuska Glacier. I imagine you've seen some major changes there. Can you talk a little bit about um, yeah. photographing a, a, a large subject like that over such a long period of time that is also constantly changing and leaving us? Um, sure. Uh, I can certainly tell you about uh, the changes I've seen there. Um, I kind of made a conscious decision that I wasn't going to do before and after kind of series uh, on that work. Other artists have done that, and you know they've done it much better than than I would have done it. I, I just wanted to respond to it directly, um, what I saw and, and uh, how I can paint that in the, you know a single beautiful piece. Um, but when I started working out at the Matanuska Glacier, which wasn't all that long ago, you know, 2000, um, <clears throat> uh, people have been working out there much, much longer than I have in photography and otherwise. But uh, when I started there uh, from the parking lot, and that's the great thing about the Matanuska Glacier, is you could practically drive to the face of the glacier and just walk onto it. The ice extended all the way to the car park and um, uh, there were like uh, 30, 35 foot walls of ice right, right there at the, at the uh, base of the uh, car park. Uh, and today, none of that ice exists. Uh, it's, it's about, uh, uh, although when, you, when you're at the car park, you actually are on ice, although it's, you know, about a probably 100 feet worth of uh, sand and dirt and, and silt and whatnot on top of it. But uh, the ice that you can actually get to and stand on that now is probably about um, oh several several hundred yards away. You know, it's about a five minute walk, maybe ten minute walk at, at most to get out there. <clears throat> uh, so that's a big change. The other change is that there's a, a lot more mud out there now. And that's kind of where this silt series came from, is I found these huge fields of, of mud on ice. So that what you see in the show, the pictures I showed in the slideshow, uh, that mud is, and silt in water, it's a very, very slow moving water. So it's not rushing or anything like that. But it's only about maybe a quarter of an inch deep at most in some places one inch deep and then right underneath it it's ice you were carried away you would see just this glare clean ice and it'd be you know blue color down underneath it <clears throat> so it's just this interesting flow of of the 
silt coming out of the out of the glacier, literally out of the glacier, and uh, flowing away from it on top of a, a, a sheet of ice down to the moraine and down to the, the water's edge where the river, the Matanusco River, starts. Uh, so a lot has changed. Uh, one thing they say about the Matanusco Glacier is it's not really a receding glacier, uh, it's a, but it is a melting glacier. And the way that the glacier works, it starts about 26 miles up into the mountains and comes uh, roaring down at about, uh, I think it's, they say about four inches a year, uh, <clears throat> and uh, gets to a, a cliff face of bedrock uh, that's about, well, I'm guessing somewhere around 40 or 50 feet high, and then falls off of that. And that's what causes all the shiracs and the broken ice and then the ice.